man, I am, uh, I am so glad to be at church today. I had something very interesting happen yesterday, something that had never happened before. Uh, I was mowing my yard yesterday morning because uh, I thought if a, uh, if a tornado comes and blows away my lawnmower, I need to get my yard cut one more time uh, before, the, uh, before the rain blows in. And I've got a very, I mean, very, very slight incline from the back of my house. If you start in the very back of my yard, and go up to my front yard. I mean, it's, it's not a major incline. I mean, it, you could barely see it if you were standing in, in the backyard, but it's a very small incline going uphill. And I was pushing my lawnmower from the back of my yard to the front of my yard, and like I could barely get it to go. And I thought, what is wrong with me? You know, it's like, this is not a major hill. I've mowed my yard time and time again. Why won't the stupid lawnmower go forward? And I, and I was like almost stuck pushing with all my might. And I thought, this hill's not this big. And I looked up, and one of the wheels had fallen off. The lawnmower, and it, it literally, like, it had three wheels on it, and it was like on the ground just boring a hole in the ground there, and I thought, oh, no. So I, I let it go, and I fixed it, and I thought, you know, as I was thinking about today's message, I thought, man, isn't that how life is uh, in, in our experience? We can have three out of four things in our life going wonderfully correct, and if one wheel falls off, uh, our family, our marriage, our kids, our job, uh, things spiritually. If just one wheel falls off our life, man, it can stop us dead in our tracks. You know, last year that, uh, that happened for me. Um, one, one of the wheels fell off my life spiritually, um, and it was that I just, I, I was totally emotionally exhausted and bankrupt. Uh, I was burnt out at my wit's end, and I didn't really knew it, but I, I, I knew my life was grinding to a halt, I knew I didn't enjoy anything in my life. Uh, Danielle and I had, uh, had just left where we were ministering. We were two and a half months into visiting churches around the country, some of the greatest churches, trying to get ideas, trying to learn. And we would literally, I mean, the first half a dozen churches we visited, we would go in, we would sit down, the worship would start, and I would just sit in my seat and bawl like a baby. I couldn't sing. I couldn't stand. I was just totally bankrupt emotionally. And I, I remember for months crying out, thinking, God, what is wrong with me? You know, I'm, I'm at that time 32 years old. I should be strong. I'm getting ready to start a church. I'm excited. Life is good. And I could barely get out of bed in the morning, much less have any kind of meaningful ministry in my life. And I happen to be reading this book. I love to read. I'm going to give you the name of two books today that if, you're, if you think you're anywhere close to burnout, discouragement, depression, if you think you're anywhere close to one of the wheels falling off in your life today, you need to read these two books and just let the truth of these books minister to you. Uh, but the name of this book is Leading on Empty by a pastor named Wayne Cordero who had a very similar experience where he just fried uh, mentally and spiritually and emotionally. And one of his chapters in chapter 4, um, he gave uh, early warning signs if, you're, if, if you've lost all balance and if you're burning out and if you're uh, possibly getting to the point of depression. At this time, I hadn't seen any counselors. You know, I thought that counseling and counselors were for people who maybe just weren't as strong as other people. You know, I was trying to make it on my own, but I knew I was fried. I knew a wheel could, had come off. And there were a lot of things in my life going on right, but I just couldn't move forward anymore. And I came across this chapter that I'm, I'm laying in bed reading. Uh, I was actually at a conference in California. Zerb, you were with me. We were out at Saddleback. Zerb was like literally staying across the living room from me. And I'm reading this in bed one night, and it says, you know, if this is you, you need to stop immediately and get some kind of balance in your life or you won't make it in ministry. And it started giving some signs of, hey, if this is how you feel, man, you need to slow down. And he said, if you have a sense of hopelessness in everyday life, you don't see your life getting any better, 
You don't see any hope for improvement. Your thoughts are always pessimistic. Your future is always bleak. Uh, your circumstances appear inescapable. You wake up every day sad. You go to bed every night worried. And I thought, man, that sounds like me. He said, if you're in frequent tears, if every little thing seems to overwhelm you to where you just feel like life is totally out of control and you are being led rather than leading every activity you do, if you have difficulty concentrating and fatigue is never far away from a person uh, or fatigue is never far away and you feel like at any moment of any day you can just lay down and take a nap for like six hours. Um, if decision making comes hard, if you can't figure out where you want to go out to eat, uh, not big decisions, little decisions, if you can't figure out where you want to go out to eat and you get in fights over little decision making things, that you might be close to the edge. He said if you're highly irritable, uh, this is where Danielle said amen as I started reading this list to her about a year and a half ago. Um, you're touchy, you have a bad temper, um, you're petulant, um, you need rest, renewal, you need healing. Um, if you have insomnia, you can't sleep at night because you're just always worried about all the things that you have to do. Um, if you have lowered activity level, everything makes you tired. If you feel alone, like you don't have one close friend in the world that really understands you. Um, he said all these things are signs. Uh, if you just have aches and pains, if your body feels bad. I read through that and I began to weep and I told Danielle, I said, I think I'm depressed, you know, and I mean, I, I'd done ministry for 10 years. I'd counseled with people who had depression. Uh, I'd been with kids and gone to counselors with kids, and I told Danielle, I think I'm depressed. I think I'm at the end of my rope, burnout, depressed, and I began over a six-month period to see counselors, to talk to people, and every one of them, after I said, you know, here's how I'm feeling, everyone said the same thing. Christian, you're at the end of your rope, and you need to slow down, and you just need to step back. Two of the three church planning organizations that I went to in this time said, you are not healthy enough to plan a church because your life is out of balance. And if you don't get your life in balance, you're not going to make it because you're 33 going on 63 and you're going to crash and burn. You have to learn balance. This time in my life took me about nine months to get healthy from February of 2000. And 11, really all the way up until January of this year, I never felt like I was totally, you know, my mind was strong, my body was strong, I was emotionally strong. But throughout this journey, I, I sought the scripture. I looked everywhere I could in the Bible to find out what the Bible had to say about being balanced. I thought, why am I so worn out? Why am I so run down? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so at the end of my road? Why am I so unhealthy? And God led me to the scriptures that I want to show you today. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. And if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, it's our, we love as a church to have people with their Bibles in their lap. We're going to open it. We're going to study it. We're going to read it. We're going to teach it. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. If you forgot your Bible today, if you're brand new and you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have a Bible, just wave at our usher. We've given away more than 250 Bibles in the last six months. This is yours to keep if you don't have one. If you just want one to study today, uh, you can use it today. And then as you leave, throw it on the usher's table if you have one at home. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, put your name in it. This is yours to keep, uh, and this is just our little gift to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word so you can know who God is. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 today, and uh, we're going to start in verse 8. And in just a minute, we're going to move through verse 11. But let me give you the context of where we are before I dive in, um, just so you'll know how important the text that I'm going to cover it, it is today. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you know any type of biblical history, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, if you've seen the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, uh, there was a great man of God in the Old Testament known as Moses who brought God's people out of bondage, and he went up on a mountain, and, and Moses basically asked God this question. He said, we don't quite understand who you are, why you love us so much. Help us know who you are. 
And God began to lay out a list of here's who I am, here's how you can interact with me. And the most famous of these ten are known as the Ten Commandments. Uh, by the way, if you, know, if you just want a, uh, a little hint for yourself, a few years ago they did a survey and they said that 80% of people who went to church weekly could not name either all of the Ten Commandments or all 12 disciples. Now I don't know that that's a life-changing thing for anyone in your life, but you might think about it. If you've grown up in church all your life, supposedly these Ten Commandments are the ten most important things that's ever been written. Can you name the Ten Commandments? Um, you know, the 12 disciples, there's only 12 and really kick Judas out because he didn't make it all the way through. 11, do you know these 11 men who changed the world? A lot of people have been in church all their life when they begin to really study the Bible, they think, wow, I don't know as much as I thought I did. Uh, and you need to constantly, no matter how long you've been in church, no matter how much you've read the Bible, stay in God's word, learn God's word, will absolutely change your life. But I want to look at today only one of the Ten Commandments. And if you're taking notes on the, on the little sermon note guide that we gave you when you walked in, if you're brand new, we gave you something that looks like this that you can take notes on. We should have given you a pen that you could take notes on, uh, that you could take notes with. Uh, we're going to look at the fourth commandment. Four out of ten. And, and we're only going to look at one, just the fourth. Uh, and, and a few things that you should know about this commandment. And you don't have to write this down, but I, I want you to understand this because it's interesting. Uh, this is the longest commandment. Of the ten, this one has more to it, more verses to it than any other commandment. Four verses it takes to give the fourth commandment. Um, this is what I would uh, call the longevity commandment. You say, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? Uh, it's one that is really for our benefit. The first three commandments deal with, and I want you to hear this, this is really interesting. First three commandments deal directly with how we interact with God. I'm your God, don't have any God before me. Uh, I'm your God, don't have any idols. I'm your God, don't take the, the, the uh, Lord's name in the vein. The last six commandments deal directly with our interactions with human beings. Our mom and dad, our neighbors, uh, the people we live with. The fourth commandment is the only commandment that deals neither directly with God or directly with people. The fourth commandment's all about you. The fourth commandment is how you deal with yourself and one thing in your life that's just for you that can change your life. So I call it the longevity commandment because if, if you do it, it's really for your benefit and it extends your life. Um, and then I call it the lonely commandment. It's all about you. So this is your, of the ten, this is the, uh, this is the one that's all about you. And in Exodus chapter 20, uh, starts in verse 8, we're going to go through verse 11. Uh, I'm going to read this and I'm going to talk to you about our journey as a church, as a people, as a mom, as a dad, as a son, as a daughter, as an employee, as an employer. I want to talk to you about the journey that you should take biblically towards balance in your life. And God told Moses this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I want you to circle that word holy if you have a Bible with you. And I just want you to write somewhere in your Bible, you should have a, a little space in your Bible, write the word separate. That's what holy means. Separate and different. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it separate. This day's going to be different from all the other days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them, but he rested. I want you to underline that word rest or highlight it or circle it. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Again, different. He blessed this one day of the week and he made this day different. Now, 
as we talk about balance today, and we're in a series that, that we're calling Words with Friends, six words that can change your life. We started last week, talked a little bit about the word imagine. Today we're talking about balance. Next week we're talking about forgiveness. These are concepts and words that if you put these things into practice in your life, according to what the Bible has to say, they will change your life for the better, uh, for the long term. I promise you that because of what the Bible has to say. But I want to, as I looked at this today, I thought, you know, how am I exactly going to teach balance and here's the two things that, that I felt like God gave me for you. God said, first, Christian, teach them what the Bible has to say. Teach them what the Bible has to say about balance. Um, and then teach them how that applies to their life. So two pretty simple things today that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to teach you what the Bible has to say about balance. And I want to try to very practically teach you how that should apply to your life. So three what I call balance facts. Try to ram them all together. Three things the Bible says about balance five ways you can apply those to your life. Balance fact number one, uh, if you study scripture carefully, you realize first and foremost that God built balance into the universe. I mean, before there was a human being, before there was an animal, before there was uh, plant life, before there was anything, according to Genesis chapter one, um, God built a universe that had seasons of on and seasons of off. As a matter of fact, on the very first day, God said, let there be light. That was the extent of the first day, but it said on that first day there was morning and there was evening. You know, Danielle and I had a, uh, an interesting conversation. Um, the other day, we like to take walks uh, around our neighborhood. That's where we have our conversations. It's where we talk about everything. And if you live in uh, my neighborhood, Eagle Creek, you'll always see us walking around, talking. Um, in our life, the pace of our life recently has become extremely busy. Uh, the nights seem a little later. The mornings seem a little earlier. And as we begin to talk about it, you know what has changed that has put a lot more busyness into our life? Very simply, daylight savings time. Um, because the longer it stays light, the longer you stay active, right? And, and I thought, you know, what if God would have created a world where it never got dark? Would anyone ever quit working? Would anyone ever go to bed? Would anyone ever shut down? You see, God knew from the very beginning that at least half the day was going to have to be, you know, lights off, hands off, relax, or we would just go, 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 like we proved with daylight savings time. Daylight savings time in the winter, we're probably all a little more well-rested. Why? It gets dark at 5 o'clock. So we're inside, we eat dinner earlier, we hang out a little longer, we have a little longer conversation. Summertime, when it gets darker at 9.30, nobody gets to bed till 10, then you don't have as much family time, you don't have as much conversation time. So God built balance into the universe just by making morning and evening, the cycle of the day. But more than that, God built balance into the universe by on the seventh day, taking a day off. You know, if you read the creation narrative in Genesis chapter one and two, you realize everything that God needed to create, he created in six days. Literally, we could live in a world that is six days long and have a calendar that's six days long instead of seven days long. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then back into Monday again. But God added an extra day. You say, why? He added a day to rest. You say, was God tired? No. God doesn't get tired because God is God. The word rest in, in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language means satisfaction. It means enjoyment. Which meant this, God said, in the course of your week, you need to have at least one day every week where you just have rest and enjoyment before you get tired, before you burn, you burn out. Because if you do this weekly, if you do this regularly, if your entire life you have one day where you rest and enjoy that day, it'll keep you from getting to the point where I was in February 2011 where you can't even go to church because you're just so 
worn out emotionally, where you don't have any friends because you're just so worn out emotionally, where you don't even like to go outside your house, but you just want to sit inside the basement where it's dark and just sleep all day because you're so worn out emotionally. If you follow God's standard, God built balance into the universe. And, and here's what God did. And I want to give you a little illustration, and I hope you can see this today. Um, can, can you all see this piece of paper that I have right here? Um, this piece of paper has as many words on it as you can possibly fit on the screen. They're not actually words. It's just the capital letter A over and over and over again. I, I got on my computer last night, and I took every bit of space possible on a piece of paper, and I printed it out because I want to see, you know, how filled up can I get this piece of paper? And this is what my computer printed for me. And this is how God created the universe. He created that even when your schedule is filled up, there's still some empty space. Because you know, well, you know what this stuff is called for those you, you computer people? It's called margin. Dr. Richard Swenson has wrote a, uh, written a book called Margin that's unbelievable. And here's what he says. Here's what most of our lives look like. See the difference? We've removed the margins from our life. This is what our bank accounts look like. We have no extra ever. The end of it, like before every pay period, we're, you know, we're finding coins in the couch so we can go buy some ramen noodles because we don't have any extra in our bank account. This is what our schedules look like. And, and like we just, every now and then, like Danielle and I, like we just pray for rain, just praying that just one game, just one game in the course of a season will get canceled because it feels like you just live at Legacy Park and driving back and forth between our house and Legacy Park and you just pray, just Lord, just one game, just one bolt of lightning, just please cancel that game. I just don't want to go because this is what our schedules look like. We fill up every ounce of available space, every ounce of available day, and we wonder why when something goes wrong, we don't have any emotional energy left over for it because we live here. We've taken all the margin out of our life. Why? Because one of the reasons is because we fail to honor the Sabbath. We fail as simple as it is to, to, not, uh, to not just take a day off. You know, if you look at Scripture, God urges us, begs us, to not burn out physically, emotionally, spiritually. God says, listen, hang in there. I don't want you to get to the breaking point ever. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It's a great verse where God says, don't be anxious about it, anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God so that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guide your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, listen, I don't want you to be stressed out about anything. You should always have peace. If you follow God's plan for your life, you have peace. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares upon the Lord. He'll sustain you. He won't let the righteous be shaken. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So we see some key words here that I want you to understand. In the New Testament, the Bible sets up a life force that's not supposed to be filled with anxiety. Stress, discouragement, being burned out. The, the best translation of the word anxious here in Philippians 4 and in 1 Peter 5 is the, is the word fill, is filled with panic. You're just at a place where you're like always at the breaking point. You're just always panicky about every little thing in your life. The Christian life is not supposed to get there. You know, I get filled with panic. I, um, I don't like needles and doctors and dentist, and I mean, I'm glad for what they do for you, and I'm glad they keep us alive, um, but I, I don't enjoy those things. I had a bad experience at the dentist one time, uh, and I get filled with panic when I have to go to the doctor. And this week, I had to go to the doctor, and I not only had to give blood, but I had to get a couple shots uh, because we're getting ready to, uh, to take kind of a short-term mission trip to India and Israel, 
so, I mean, I couldn't sleep the night before, and I knew all day long that, you know, I was going to go in that doctor's office, and they were going to stick a needle in me and drain every ounce of blood out of me until I was just dead on the table. I mean, that's kind of the way it works in my mind, even though it's only a tube like that. Um, and, it, you know, Danielle has to go with me and hold my hand because I pass out every time. I mean, literally, I walk in and say, now you should lay me down because I will fall down. Uh, I'm not going to make it through this process. And, you know, the little tech that, like, t- is taking my blood looks like he's 10. You know, I walk in, and this kid is like, what in the world? And Danielle said, how long have you been working here? And he's like, two, you know, two weeks? And I was like, oh, no. He's going to cut my arm off with this needle. You know, I mean, I, I'm not comfortable with these things at all. I get filled with panic to the point where, I mean, after passing out several times, we were sitting with our doctor, and Danielle always goes into the physical room with me because she knows I'm going to lie to the doctor not to have to give blood and do stuff. Um, and he said, you know, we got to get you to, you know, to quit passing out. And, you know, he's like, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And I was like, yeah, you know, I've tried it. Have, have you taken Valium? Yes, I've taken Valium. I was like, could you please hit me with a hammer? And, you know, he kind of chuckled. And he said, well, have you thought about hypnosis? And I said, huh, have you thought about me punching you in the face? I mean, this isn't funny to me. So I'm very scared to give blood. I don't, I don't like it. Um, I don't want to do that. And a lot of us live life on that level of anxiety just all day, every day. A lot of you mothers wake up every day and you got to get breakfast ready and you got to get kids ready for school and then you got to get off to your own job and then they got to be at piano by such and such a time and, and soccer at such and such a time and this at such and such a time and you just, every day is just one ball of anxiety. Every day for years and years and years. Some of you dads are the same way with your work. And the Bible says God built balance into the universe so you didn't have to live in that place of anxiety. Uh, this word burden, Jesus says all of you who are burdened, it's, it's the thought of having something constantly heavy on your heart. Man, I'm just always worried about this thing. Um, Jesus says all you who are worn out, that, that means weary without hope for reprieve. Like you just never think you're going to catch up. You just think, man, if I could just have a week to sleep, maybe I would feel better. If I could have a month off, maybe I would feel better. But you live with this mindset that it's just, I'm never going to get back to normal. This is what a lack of balance does to us mentally. Stressed out, burned out, tired, on edge, hopeless, uh, overwhelmed. This is what a lack of balance does. And this is what many people have in their life. Say, well, what if I have a really important job? You know, Christian, I I wish I could take time off, but I can't turn off my phone because people need me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I have a really important job. Listen, no one had a more important job in the history of the world than Jesus. And if we look at balance fact number two, Jesus rested often and always at key times, he took time to get away. You know, as we study the Bible, for those of us who are wise, wisdom searches for balance at all times. How can I lighten the load of my life? And it schedules times to have lighter loads in life. Say life is too busy not to schedule time of relaxation in your life. So if we study scripture carefully and we just look at the life of Jesus, we find out that every time Jesus had a big event, he would take time to get away before that big event. Why? Because he knew it was going to exhaust him. So we find in the life of Jesus that he always scheduled time before big ministry events. He scheduled time to relax a little bit. You say, where is that? Mark 135. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went to a solitary place where he prayed. What did he do? He just got alone for a little bit. Every now and then, you just have to get alone for a little bit. So anytime Jesus had something really big happening, he would rest first. Anytime Jesus had something really big happen, he would rest after 
If we study the Bible, anytime you see Jesus do major ministry, at the end of the major ministry, he always said, now I need to relax for a little bit. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 46. This is right after Jesus fed 5,000 people. Big, big, big time ministry event. It said immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. Well, he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He didn't even go hang out with his best friends. He said, guys, I just need a little downtime. I just need things to slow down for a little bit. So before Jesus ever had a big event, he would get rested up. After Jesus had a major event, he would stop and get rested up. Um, and, and in fact, when Jesus' disciples started getting busy, he took time to teach them to get away. And you've got to imagine, these are 12 young kids who are doing ministry, who are trying to change the world. And even Jesus told them every day, listen, you can't do ministry every day. Sometimes you have to stop and relax. In Mark chapter 6, 31, it says, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Now, I want to stop right there. How many of you have had a day this week or this month that it's like so busy you just skipped a meal? That's out of balance. The disciples were so busy they didn't even have a chance to eat, so he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. Now, Jesus in his disciples' life was the one to make sure that they had balance. Let me ask you a question. Who in your life tells you to stop when you're too busy? And they say, you know, I know all these people need your help, but you just need to stop right now. You say, well, you know, what I'm doing is really important. You don't think what Jesus' disciples were doing was really important? Can you see a church crowd wanting counseling, wanting healing, wanting help, wanting advice? And Jesus says to his disciples, you know what? The church office is closed today. Y'all need to get away and rest. Who in your life tells you when the dark circles start forming under your eyes and says, you know what? You're going to say no to this one. Who in your life helps you do that? For me, it's Danielle. It's my wife. She will tell me, Christian, you need to not do this right now. Because she can always say, and, and she's always so friendly about it. She says, you know, you have a bad attitude right now. You're tired, so you need to not do this. So, you know, for her, it's always presented real lovingly to me. Um, and I appreciate um, that. But who's the one that tells you, slow down, back off, take a break? It's usually not going to be your boss. It usually won't be the people that work under you or work with you. You have to have some people in your life that ask you, hey, when's the last time you took a day off? When's the last time you took a vacation? When's the last time you turned your phone off? When's the last time you went a day without checking your email? When's the last time you said no to the 400 requests that come to you because you're good at everything? When, when is the last time you said, I just, I got to get away for a little bit? See, Jesus taught his disciples, even when you're doing ministry, that's really important. Every now and then you have to go rest. You have to get balance. And what's interesting is, according to Scripture, the larger that Jesus' ministry grew, the bigger his church got, if he would have had a church, the more time he took to get away. That's what Luke chapter, 15, or Luke chapter 5 shows us. When the news spread about him all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness, he withdrew often to lonely places, and he prayed. So the busier Jesus got, the more time he took to get away. So God put balance into the universe so we wouldn't just all work 24 hours a day. Jesus modeled a schedule of not being busy all day, every day, our entire life. But here maybe was the most challenging verse for me as a father of a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old as I began to study balance and as I met with my counselors and I met with pastors who were pouring into me. This thought, balance fact number three, that you can't relive missed moments of your life. You can't go back and do them over. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus. 
And I want you to see what he writes here about not missing the greatest moments in your life. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul told this church in Ephesus, he said, listen, you can't go back and live your life over. You, you can't go back and recapture all those moments that you missed, so you have to live wise enough that you make the most of every opportunity. You know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, my son had a, a Sunday baseball tournament, Saturday and Sunday. I actually had to leave church right after church that day. I wasn't able to, even to stay and shake hands and say goodbye. And I raced out the door to go get to his game so I could be there. Uh, and they played their first game. And in their second game, they were playing a team, if you remember, a team that had beat them like 21 to nothing uh, the night before. They were playing a team, and we were up the entire game. Uh, and as time kept creeping closer and closer and closer, I had small group on Sunday night, and I kept telling Danielle, I'm going to have to leave. And Danielle said, wait a minute, you just told the whole church that, you know, you, you're going to be a, your son's game, so you're going to leave like a championship baseball game to, to go back? I mean, you, you know, you, that's kind of hypocritical with what you said. And I said, well, you know, I just I feel like I should be there. And she convinced me not to leave, uh, called somebody else, and they, you know, they took charge of the small group that night. But here's, here's the moment that I thought I'd have missed if I'd have left. Um, the team came back. We were up three runs in the bottom of the sixth inning. They scored three, tied it. They won in extra innings. And our kids were so excited because they thought they were going to win. And when they scored that final run, my son played second base, and we were in the third base dugout. When they scored that, that last run, our team came jogging off the field, and my son was just in tears. And he came, and he just wrapped his arms around me and was just crying in my chest because he was so intent on winning. And as I stood there and hugged him, I thought, this is a moment that I couldn't have relived if I hadn't been here. So we have to live our life knowing that there are some moments we'll never get back. You say, well, how do I prioritize what is most important and what is least important? Well, I don't, I don't have this in your notes, but I want to give you, this is how I make every decision in my life. Before we jump down into what should I do with this information, here's how I make the decisions in my life of what I can do, what I can't do, when I can do it, um, and, and these are, if you're a, a husband and a dad, this, this would be real good for you. Uh, first and foremost, always, is my relationship with God. I think, is this going to bring me closer to God or take me further away from God? So my first priority in life is my relationship with God and how things will impact me spiritually. My second priority in life is my relationship with my wife. So anytime somebody says, hey, can, uh, Christian, can you do this? If it's going to negatively impact my relationship with my wife, I won't. Um, even if that means if I've got a date scheduled with her and something important comes up, that's not as important as the date with my wife. Uh, my third responsibility is as a dad. So first responsibility is to God. My second responsibility is to my wife. My third responsibility is to my kids. And if I do all those things well, my fourth responsibility is, as the, is, is the pastor of this church and the people of this church. And then my fifth responsibility is anything else. So when someone, and I get this type of stuff all the time, hey, Christian, can you do this? My filter is, well, let me see. Here's what's most important. Here's what's second. Here's what's third. Here's what's fourth. I know exactly where something ranks in priority. If somebody from our church calls me and says, Christian, I need you to come be a pastor to me at this moment, 
and it doesn't interfere with my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, and somebody else calls me who doesn't go to our church, who I'm not uh, their pastor, and says, hey, I need you at the same time, this person will always get bumped because I'm responsible first to a person in our church. If I have a person in our church who I'm having a meeting with and one of my kids gets sick at school or breaks their arm and has to go to the hospital, this meeting is gonna get canceled so I can go be with my kid who's at the hospital. And, and that's how the process works. I try to prioritize what's important so that I don't miss moments in life that are critically, critically important. So as you look at balance, God put balance into the universe. So there's always time on, time off. As you look at balance, Jesus lived a life of balance, taught a life of balance. As you look at balance, you have to realize I can't relive missed moments in my life. I can't be so busy that I regret all my life because I missed it. We say, what should I do with this information? Five things that I feel like every person, not just every Christian, but every person needs to do scripturally. Um, what should I do with this information on balance? Number one, you gotta take a day off every week. So he says who? God. God. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments, that one day a week you rest. Anytime someone comes up and says to me, man, I, I haven't had a day off in six weeks, I think, you know what, to God, that sounds the same as saying, I committed adultery every week the last six weeks. Because they're both commandments, right? You're basically throwing in God's face. You said do this, but I don't. And most people brag about it. People either brag or complain. I wonder how often when people tell me, man, I, worked, I didn't get a day off last week. I wonder, did you repent of that? Did you ask God to forgive you? Because God says take a day off every week. It's actually one of the rules. You know, I, I, uh, I went to college uh, where a, a pastor that you all would know if, if I said his name had founded that university. And when they died, one of the things they said about him, and, you know, and he's a man that I love very much and he taught me a lot. But one of the things they said about him is they said he created the seven-day uh, work week in ministry. And I thought, you know, that's interesting because God created the six-day work week in ministry. And, you know, if I'm going to choose to follow a mentor or God, I probably ought to choose to follow God because balance is built into God's schedule. So I take a day off every week. A day off every week was put into the schedule for you. Look at what Mark 2.27 says. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Say, so what does that mean? The Sabbath was not meant for you to serve God. The Sabbath is God's gift for him to serve you to take a day off. If you haven't had a day off in weeks, you need to take one tomorrow. Call in tomorrow. And you need to start scheduling one every week. The, uh, the pastors at our church take Fridays off. And I mean, it has to be something critically important for me ever to do anything on a Friday. Probably less than five Fridays a year will I do anything but hang out with my wife. Because that is my Sabbath. And because of Scripture, I take it very, very spiritually. Uh, number two, develop a hobby. This is one thing that's going to bring balance back into your life. Say, why? Because God intended life to be fun. Nehemiah 8.10 and Ecclesiastes 3 both say one of the things that God has given us in life is the ability to have fun. Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is our strength. When you're having fun, you're healthy spiritually. Ecclesiastes 3.12-13, Solomon said, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them can eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their work. This is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? That you enjoy your life. So find a hobby. My, probably my first and foremost hobby, and you don't have to spend money to find a hobby. My number one hobby is watching college football. I mean, that, like for me, that fills me up 
emotionally, spiritually, physically, and every other, especially when Ohio State is good. That is a real spiritual high for me, uh, being born in, in the Buckeye State. Find things where your mind shuts down and you just enjoy it. Play golf, play tennis, uh, jog, run, see movies, fish, hunt, develop a hobby. God wants you to have a hobby. He wants you to enjoy your life. Uh, number three, this may be the only line that some of you in here need to hear today. Give yourself permission to say no. You don't have to do everything that everyone wants you to do. You don't have to do everything everyone needs you to do. In Luke 14, 28, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Here's the thought. Every time you're asked to do something, you should stop and say, well, wait a minute. Do I really have time to do this? Is this going to impact my marriage? Is this going to impact me as a parent? Is this going to keep me from seeing my kid playing baseball and soccer and cheerleading? Is this decision going to really get my life out of balance where I can't take a day off? Is this decision going to, and you begin to ask those questions. Before you say yes to everything, say anytime somebody calls me, if, if you stop me outside and say, hey, can we get together this week? I'll say email me because I don't know. And when you email me, I'll see if everything lines up. By the way, probably every week, 10 people outside say, hey, can we get together this week? And I'll say email me, and usually none of them even do. None of the 10. So I, I don't know if it's not important or it was important. Um, but I'm going to ask. I'm, I'm not going to say yes on the spot because I don't know. I don't know what you need. I don't know what time you need it. So I would love to meet with every person in our church. And I will if every person in our church needs me. But we have to set it up at a time that works for me and for you. Because way before we're pastor and, and person who goes to a church, we're husbands and wives and fathers and coaches and teachers and jobs and everything else. So give yourself permission to say no. Number four, uh, this is more health, but it's also biblical. You've got to get enough sleep. It's one thing my doctor chastised me for this week at, uh, w when I went in for my yearly physical. I said, how much sleep do you get? And he told me something I didn't know. He said, the, the, the more healthy you are, the more you work out, the more you run, the more sleep that you need because your body is actually running harder. So most people think if they work out, they don't have to get as much sleep. Actually, they need more sleep. So you, you should go, if you're constantly tired, worn out, burn out, discouraged, you've got to get enough sleep. The Bible talks about the power of sleep. In Proverbs 3.24, wisdom says, when you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And one of the things I didn't have when I was stressed out, burnt out, discouraged, is I never slept well, because I just always had things to do. I could never slow down. Uh, and then number five, and you may have to rework your budget to do this, but you need to take a yearly vacation. You see on your sermon notes, I put O-T, feast. You say, what, what does that mean? Overtime feast. No, that means Old Testament feast. The nation of Israel actually was required to take three weeks of vacation every year, spiritually. A, a Jewish family in the Old Testament had to take three weeks a year where they just spent time together as a family, thinking about what was going on spiritually, honoring God and spending time together. One of those three weeks was called the Festival of, of the Booths, which means this. They literally slept in a tent for a week. That was one week of their vacation. They camped out. And some of you are saying, well, I don't have enough money to, to go on vacation. Listen, you don't have enough money not to go on vacation if you don't want to burn out and you want to give your family great, great memories. And you don't have to spend a lot of money to go on vacation, but you need to have times off, weeks at a time, where your kids know these weeks, your wife knows, your husband knows, these weeks are just for our family. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren, who has written a wonderful book called The Purpose Driven Life, says it this way. This isn't going to be on your notes, but it's, it's a real interesting take on balance. Um, 
he teaches all his young pastors. Uh, he said every day you need to divert daily. When it comes to balance, you need to divert daily. Exercise, have a hobby, take a nap, read the Bible, uh, read a magazine, watch your favorite TV show. You need to have at least one hour a day where you do something besides work. And then he said you need to withdraw weekly, which is take a day off. And he said do this with if your phone is your office, leave your phone behind. If you ever eat a meal with Danielle and I, I never bring my phone into a restaurant because it's all my email, all my text message, all my Facebook, all my Twitter, all my everything, and it will buzz every 30 seconds. And if I have my phone with me, I might as well be there by myself. A few years ago, we were going out to dinner with my mom and dad. My mom and dad are old school. Today's my mom's 60th birthday. They still don't have call waiting. They don't have internet at their house. It's like, you know, they're 60, not 90. Come on, get with the program. Um, but a few, you know, a few years ago, before either of them had cell phones, after everyone else in the world had cell phones, uh, we were going out to eat, and we got out of the car, and I grabbed my cell phone, and my dad said, if you bring that inside, I'm not eating with you. He said, if you're going to be at dinner with me, you're going to be at dinner with me, not your phone. And from that moment forward, I don't take my phone into restaurants. You don't need to have your phone at the dinner table, at the lunch table, at the breakfast table. You don't need to have, really, you don't even need to have it on while you're at home. At 5 o'clock, turn it off and enjoy your family. Um, number three, separate seasonally. Have a night off. Have a day off. Go on a camp out. Take a one or two day break at least four times a year. Um, and then Warren says, abandon annually. So that's just the, the way that he remembers it and teaches it. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, separate seasonally, abandon annually. You know, I don't know if uh, you heard about the guy last Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning. Uh, there was a man in Florida, a 65-year-old man who was laying on the beach. Uh, he and his family were there, his wife, his kids, his grandkids. Uh, and as he was laying on the beach, he saw uh, uh, three kids from another family that had been caught in a rip current, and they were drowning. And the mom and dad raced out, and they were able to get two of the kids out of the rip tide, and a four-year-old kept getting, kept getting sucked further and further out. And the 65-year-old man jumped in the water, and he swam out, and he was able to push the girl to safety, but he didn't make it back in. He died saving her life. And I thought, you know, I wonder how many people in our church are going to physically die living for other people um, and their own family and their own kid and their own grandkids are going to be left on the beach alone because they spent all their time living for someone else. You know, I prayed this morning as Danielle and I were on the way to church that our church would be represented of young families and older families who were highly balanced. And when people looked at your life, they saw great health, great families, great fun, great balance. And they said, we want to be like them because this is the picture the Bible presents to us of a healthy Christian. Man, if you're where I was a year and a half ago, I want to encourage you today, slow down. Input these things into your life and watch your life begin to change. If you're not burnt out yet, but you're not doing these things, you're headed there unless you begin to implement all these things on balance. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today. And God, I pray for the men and women in this room. I pray for those who might be watching on the internet later this week um, who are like I was in February 2011. They are just totally depleted. Um, and from the outside, you can't see it. They're kind of like a basketball without any air in it that kind of holds its shape. But if you were to bounce it, it wouldn't come back up. They're empty. And God, I know just, I, I know in this church, I know in my neighborhood, I know in this school, I know there are people all over this community that are just flat 
worn out. And God, they just need some balance before they hit a wall. And God, I pray for the men and women in this church today who need to take a step back and implement all the things that the Bible says about their life to regain balance and joy and health. With every head bowed and every eye closed, here's what I'm going to pray today. If you're in this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. And man, you're just burnt out, stressed out, worn out. And you really need to take a step back, but you're not sure how, you're not sure when, you're not even sure what that'll look like, but you know you've been running too hard. Then I want to pray for you this morning. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I am going to ask you to identify yourself. If you're here in this room today, stressed out, burnt out, worn out, you, you have to take a step back. I want to pray for you today. Would you just slip your hand up wherever you're seated and just say, yeah, Christian, that's me. Just pray for me. Yeah. And dozens and dozens of hands raised. I know how it feels. God, I pray for these who have raised their hands and for those who feel the same way but didn't raise their hands. That you would help these folks understand how to slow down, how to step back. And God, that you would remove anxiety from their daily schedule, that you would remove burden from their daily schedule, that you would remove weariness from their daily schedule. And God, that you would help them to have a life filled with balance. Lord, so it can be a life filled with you and with the enjoyment of life, a life filled with days off and family vacations and fun times off together, a life filled with the ability to say no without feeling like you're letting the world down. God, give us a church full of men and women who are balanced and those today who are searching for it, who just raised their hand and said, I need some help. God, specifically give it to them today. And God, I pray for the men and women in this church today who might be looking for a church home and maybe the reason they're at a church is because they got burnt out at a church. They got used up, burnt out, spit out. And no one really cared how their family was doing, if they had balance, if they were spending enough time. God, I pray that they might find rest and, and home, a, a place, a, a home at our church that uh, will love them enough lot to let them serve every week. And will love them enough to make them give their ministry over after a certain time. And Lord, will give us a mind not just to use people for the ministry, but to make sure they're taken care of spiritually. God, I thank you for this series and what we're going to learn about these key areas. Balance, forgiveness, discouragement, shame, guilt. As we walk through this series, blessing. God, I pray that you'll help us to have our eyes opened to major areas in our life that can be transformed through the power of just following what your word has to say about them. God, we love you. We need you. Help us as a church to be balanced, to be healthy, uh, and to be a great light for this city of uh, people who are living for you. We love you. We see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.